Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of The Colette Stuff. This is the first time I'm introducing the show, so I don't know what the bit is supposed to be. So, there it is. The Colette Stuff. There it is. Here we are. <laughs> uh, I am uh, your co-host, uh, Mike Burge, uh, joined today, as always, by Bernadette Gorman-White. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Earlier in the text, you uh, you telegrammed me earlier today, and you said, it's Tony time at 1 p.m. So I time. like that this is the, the Colette stuff, colon, Tony time. <laughs> Tony time. Yeah, we'll have a colon, a, a, a subtitle for each episode. I'm into that's it. Just, that's just like plays on like, it, it's Colette o'clock. Here we go. <laughs> I'm just going to burn them all out right now. Yeah. Um, Gotta save some. This is our uh, the first installment of our sequel series, mini series to The Right Stuff, where Bernadette and myself covered all of the films of Edgar Wright. And now we have swapped gears over to a actor who we're going to cover their entire filmography, focusing in on uh, some of the major movies that they've made or the movies that we really want to uh, talk about, but also talk about all of the movies that were released around there. That way we're not uh, we're not doing this for about like eight years in releasing one episode a month. <laughs> uh, and, we're, and we're covering Tony Collette. Uh, we're going to cover all of Tony Collette's movies, uh, starting with this very first episode where we're going to focus in on Muriel's Wedding, um, which uh, I had never seen up until this point. Uh, it has been one that has evaded me um, for a very long time, and I'm very happy to be able to announce that I have watched it now and I am ready to discuss it. Um, and then also fun movies on here. So this is one of the interesting things is like, especially now that we're we're starting so far back, it's hard to track some of these movies down because some of these Big movies time. are very small especially in Tony Collette's case, um, uh, independent Australian features that are very hard to get. Uh, I've mm -hmm. already went ahead and procured all of our copies of the next episode, of which I had to order like a VHS tape from Russia of one of them <laughs> off of eBay to be able to get it because I couldn't find a file of anything. Perfect. Um, so hopefully now we'll be all caught up. So what we're doing uh, is... We're, Muriel's Wedding is the main topic today, but we're also going to be discussing uh, 1991's The Efficiency Expert, also known as Spotswood. It was Spotswood is, originally is in originally. Australia, and then, yeah, mm -hmm. they renamed it for, like, the American audience. Mm-hmm. And then uh, The Thief and the Cobbler, the Miramax version from 1992. Hoo-wee. Yep. Muriel's Wedding is 94. Uh, then we have um, Cosy. Cozy. Sure. 1996. <laughs> Uh, the Paul Bearer, uh, 1996 as well, and Lillian's Story, 1996. Big 1996 year for Toni Collette and small roles that end up putting her on the poster because now she's famous. Yeah, she's like the only one on most of these posters, which yep. does not make because sense she's, at all. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, we'll get into, there's a lot of people that are also now famous that are in a lot of these movies that I was not expecting to pop up, and here we are. Uh, so... Real quick before we break into it, Bernadette, what the what the hell are we doing? Why? <laughs> why well, why have why have we done this? Originally, when we first were discussing the idea and discussing who we wanted to do, I was really excited to do Tony Collette. 
Um, but I hadn't realized that she had been in so many films. I didn't realize that her filmography was so huge, which is pretty cool. And I'm I'm getting really into it because I know you have recently been watching all of Chadwick Boseman's films. And I was like, oh, that's like an interesting thing to do. I don't know if I would be like super into watching movies that besides like one actor in that film that I was following, I wouldn't otherwise watch. But I'm right. really, really enjoying this. I think uh, yeah. it's starting to make sense to me why you like to do this, go through an actor's filmography. Because, yeah, watching these older movies, like, I w- would have never watched, like, The Efficiency Expert or Cozy. But I've, I've been having a really good time watching these movies. So yeah. I don't know what we're doing, but I like that we're doing it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of the same thing that I do, too, with, like, uh, movies of the year, like, movies released in the year as I start to try and like dig for like weird hidden gems that movies that haven't really popped up up any on any lists. There's not really any buzz for, I just kind of stumble up across it on Amazon and I watch a trailer. Most, most of the time those things look uh, like trash because they usually tend to be, but every now and then I'll stumble upon something where I'm like, that trailer looks good. That looks interesting. And most of the time, again, it's not really good. It's not really worth it. The internet is so uh, precise these days that you can watch something and if anything is really worthy of like buzz, it's getting buzz. So it's very rare that you st- I stumble upon something that really blows me away. Um, and that's kind of like, so I watch a lot of these weird movies that I'm like, oh, I didn't really dig that, but I'm into that director now. That director's on my radar. I, I just watched that movie... Um, uh, earlier today, a good a good woman is hard to find. Um, it is okay, uh, but it's directed very well. Um, it's got like really good actors in it and stuff. So I'm just like, oh, I'll see where all these guys go. This movie is fine on its own. And so it's kind of a weird inverse in going back to 1991 and being like, ah, a movie with Anthony Hopkins from 1992. Is that Russell Crowe? Oh, great. Oh, look, it's Ben Mendelsohn when he's 17 years old. Okay. Like it just, and it just keeps happening every movie. You're like, it's Ben Mendelsohn again. Again. Oh, it's that guy from Cozy is in Lillian's story. Does he play two characters? What's going on here? It's a, it was a very odd uh, experience kind of watching through these movies because especially with Tony Collette, it's kind of funny because uh, Muriel's wedding really was kind of the thing that launched her out there. Like that put her on, on like a lot of people's radars in a very strange and, way, for sure. And you can see, a, and I'm I'm guessing the reason that three of these movies were all released in 1996 is because they were all made beforehand. And when Tony Collette became famous in 1994, they pushed them out and released them. Uh, Paul Bear, I think, is the exception to that. That is probably just the next movie. But yeah. she, do- Tony Collette, does look uh, younger in um, Cozy and yeah. Lillian's story than she does in Muriel's Wedding. So it is. They do that sometimes. Like, do you remember that Timothy Chalamet movie, Hot Summer Nights? That I have was, heard of it, but I didn't really track it at all. It's a dog shit movie. Oh, I'm sure. And it, <laughs> and it was released only. It was shelved because it was so bad. But it was released once Timothy once uh, Chalamet. Became everybody's uh, favorite little peach fucker. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <Yikes>. Sorry. <laughs> uh, 
Jeez, oh, <laughs> it's behind the cash fence. We're fine. We can <laughs> we can be crude. You got to keep it in there, man. You can't cut what that if, out. What if uh, what if the, the the Colette stuff, the Tony Colette retrospective series, was our most crude series? I was like, oh, Burn and Birds go off on that. Well, I mean, like some of these movies, it might warrant it. So we'll Very see. Much, yeah. <laughs> so um. Yeah, and Tony Collette. I, I love Tony Collette. We talked about a bunch of different actors that we wanted to try out that we were thinking about. I think it ultimately did come down to our version of a coin flip, which was mm-hmm. letting uh, Robbie use Robbie. <laughs> use Robbie. Like, hey, and I think it was, was it Kate Blanchett or Tony Collette? I think it was down to Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet and Tony Collette. Yeah, because mm-hmm. we were Tilda Swinton, Kate Blanchett. I think that they kind of canceled each other out or something. Yes. We had some weird conversation where... Uh, all of these actors in our brains were killing each other. And then it came down to, Robbie, which one? And I think because of his affinity with Hereditary. Yeah, I don't think he's like really tracking who Kate Winslet is. I'm sure he knows who she is, mm-hmm. but doesn't really know a lot about her work. Yeah, and I'll be honest, like when Tony Collette did happen, I was like, cool, into it, let's do it. But boy, oh boy, Kate Winslet, what a hell of a career. That would be so much fun to talk about because you get to talk about all these different directors and all these different actors that she works with. She's very much more of an A-lister than mm-hmm. Tony Collette is as far as like the Hollywood machine goes. But already with these first six, I'm just like, Hey, Into look, it. At, look at all these people. So, uh, out of uh, these six movies, which one do you want to talk about first? I mean, I know we'll kind of touch on the tinier ones and the the, the meat will be Muriel's wedding. Uh, right. But is there anyone that you're kind of just really itching to to get a hot takeout on? Oh, man. Well, the most recent one that I've watched was Lillian's story. Me as well. And uh, the, the first one that I watched out of all of these, um, I had only seen The Thief and the Cobbler prior to this, but it had been a couple of decades since I had seen that movie. Um, but yeah, I figured maybe like, let's start at the the beginning, the efficiency mm. expert, because what a like a little sweet morsel of a movie, just like feel good movie. Good movie. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good movie. It's a good it's movie. A, it's a good movie. It's uh, <laughs> I was watching it and I was like, this is a good movie. Every, everything kept happening in it. And I was like, that's good. That's good that they did that. And then more stuff happens and I'm like, oh, that's good. Good. And then it ends, and I'm like, oh, good. <laughs> and then that was it. That was it. I was like, all right, what's next? I did watch a lot of these movies as double features. So oh, interesting. It is, it is interesting to kind of go from, I watched The Efficiency Expert um, back-to-back with Muriel's Wedding. I watched Muriel's oh. Wedding first, uh, and then watched The Efficiency Expert, because uh, I watched them out of order. Because I, I was having well. I was having trouble tracking some of them down, getting some from like the library and waiting on some to kind of come in in the mail. So, yeah, I uh, efficiency expert uh, or Spotswood, as it's called. I think efficiency expert's a better name. Yeah, I think they renamed it because uh, I heard Tony Collette talking to Mark Marin on WTF uh, mm-hmm. not too long ago. And yeah, she said that they thought Spotswood wouldn't test well in America because it just sounds weird. Even though it's just yeah. the name of a place, but people it's are the like, name what, of a place. what is it? Is but it a disease? But the efficiency <laughs> expert, like, it really does just kind of, uh, especially in the very beginning there with Anthony Hopkins and his hairpiece, just like, <laughs> you're just, uh, I'm allowed to mock him 
as a as a as a fellow bald man, I can be sure. like, oh yeah, we can make fun of our own. You know, it's kind of like that. It's one of those rules. You know. Sure. Have you ever said that on mic? Do you know if you've said like, "Hello, listeners, I am balding." I am a balding <laughs> man. Yeah. I don't know. There's enough pictures of me out there taken from the That's side true. where you know it looks like like it looks like I'm wearing like a a yarmulke. <laughs> but it's, it's just it's, it's just, just my hair. scalp it's my scalp um no uh it, it's it, i think having the movie be called the efficiency expert is pretty important especially in the first 15 minutes for all those jokes where you just see anthony hopkins looking around in his snooty like welsh way and just being like well that's not efficient you you just know you're like well that's not efficient that's not efficient <laughs> what are they doing over there that's not efficient and just having it be called spotswood it's just kind of like, it's slicker. What are we there's, watching? Nothing, there's nothing wrong with the title Spotswood, but Efficiency Expert, I think, is is better if we're comparing them. Yeah, definitely. I do think the poster's weird, however, that for the poster yes. for the Efficiency Expert, it's Anthony Hopkins and then the... One, Olivia, the, the, the model? Yeah, the boss's daughter, like, posing next to him. Like, it's a weird, like, Austin Powers precursor. It's It's know. strange. I don't know what they're doing. No, none of these posters make sense. And I think that that's another, like, because this is 1992. Silence of the Lambs is 1991. Oh, interesting. It it is very obvious that Anthony Hopkins is not as old in Efficiency Expert as he was in Silence of the Lambs. So this is another one of those pushes. You have someone, like, really break through the zeitgeist. Because Anthony Hopkins was around in the 80s, but as... Everyone, the Science of the Limbs like catapulted him mm-hmm. and they just started uh, grabbing a bunch of older stuff that they had been in that couldn't find distribution because there was no interest. And now all of a sudden you've got a, an A-list star in this thing that you don't have to pay any extra money and you just you just toss the thing out there. Yeah, that's true. It's weird. I've been you said you did a lot of these movies as double features yeah. and I did not. But I keep like having all of these like weird little uh, like layovers when it comes to things that I'm watching because I also recently watched a season of the crown where they get into like unions and the efficiency expert is also about unions, mm-hmm. which is interesting. And I just recently watched hearts in Atlantis, uh, cause we're going to be doing like a Stephen King video mm-hmm. and that has Anthony Hopkins. And so I'm like watching Anthony Hopkins movies that I never would have watched prior to this. And then, again, like, the fact that all of these movies, very much like British television, it's like, Australia is a very tiny island when it comes to actors. It's, like, all the same people, just, like, it's, merging they, in They're and all out. the same people just <laughs> coming back into all of these Australian movies. And you're like, I feel like I'm going to be kind of sad once we leave Australia and kind of go over to Hollywood with Tony for a little while. Yeah, I kind of feel like I've been to Australia now, and I most certainly have not been to Australia. <laughs> no. Yeah. But, yeah, overall recommend the efficiency expert if you have free time to like watch a weird random movie that you would never watch listeners give it a watch it's enjoyable yeah it's charming Mm -hmm. it's a charming little film a lot of really fun side b characters uh russell crowe is just like on fire in it i think as like the dude that you're not supposed to like Mm -hmm. who actually kind (laughs) of ends up winning at the end which i like where he's like he gets what he wants yeah, he's going to learn that maybe it's not what he wanted, but who hey, knows? Right. He's a he's a shitty character. Maybe he will love it. Yeah, and then he and then I assume Anthony Hopkins takes his job. That's it's- kind of the <laughs> assumption. I like how the movie just gets the fuck out. Yeah. It's like, All right, that's it. Bye. Um and then of course uh we've got young uh little Ben Mendelsohn in there too who will come back later 
uh, in the lead role in in Cozy. Mm-hmm. To be um, honest, I uh, when I've seen Ben Mendelsohn in works prior, I must not have really like been aware of who he was, tracking that that was a guy. Um, but what I know him most from is one episode of Girls where he plays Jess's father. Oh, and sure. it's funny, like I saw Rogue One. I don't remember Ben Mendelsohn in that movie. I mean, I'm sure he's probably oh, well, like a main character. I don't know. He, he is the he is the main bag. He's like the he's like the the twerp imperial officer. But okay. that movie that's one of the main issues that I have with that movie is that it has like fucking 16 characters and none of them are really given enough time to do anything, right? Except for the main one, and what she ends up doing is kind of uninteresting. So. Mm. It's okay. It's a fine movie. It's fine. Yeah. It's no efficiency expert, but... Ooh. <laughs> oh. Shots fired. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, efficiency expert. What was the next one after that? We have... Uh, it's uh, the, the fateful Thief and the Cobbler. Thief and the Cobbler. Oh, what a sad, sad story. Just... What a weird, 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 weird fucking movie, too. Like... Removed from the story, like, if you want to go over it of, like, you know, this thing is, like, notoriously troubled for being tried to be made for decades. And then the final, uh, the the final form that it has taken is kind of, like, a, a sad little thing. Yeah. So, listeners, uh, if, I don't know if you're aware of The Thief and the Cobbler. Um, but, yeah, this guy named Richard Williams, this was, like, his passion project. He got involved with, like, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, hoping to get money to back this project, which he had been working on forever. And finally, it got snatched up. But in the snatching up of this project, it kind of got, like, butchered. So there's, like, an original cut that he released called Thief and the Cobbler. And then there is another one that was released, uh, also called Thief and the Cobbler. But they're like, they're slightly different. Some of the scenes are told out of order. Some of the emphasis is put on different scenes. And then Miramax decided to release it. Sadly, after Aladdin had already come out. And Aladdin took a lot of the same themes and character ideas. Granted, Aladdin's a very different movie than Thief and the Cobbler. Mm -hmm. But some of like the, the starting seeds of what Aladdin became, you could easily see that it came from this other story. And so Miramax released Thief and the Cobbler or Arabian Night as this completely different thing. They added like musical numbers, you know, they they rearranged some of the scene order. And I still really like it. It's a weird trip of a movie. They gave like inner monologue to some of the characters who were pretty much mute in the original. And that's like some of the weirdest stuff to watch. The animation is really cool. Um... But yeah, like, obviously, by the time it came out, people had already seen Aladdin. And they were like, well, you know, this is a weird thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's kind of a lot like the Lion King. Oh, thing yes. where Disney stole a lot of stuff from like this other like this, like, I think it was a Japanese kind of like anime thing about a, a, a lion. Yes. Uh, and it's kind of like Disney. Disney was known for this. They would they would they would poach ideas and specs and stuff. From other animation studios, whether it was in finished work or in development work. And the thing with Thief and the Cobbler is that it was around for like 20 years before yeah. like finally happening. It, uh, it which is ironic like that Matthew 50s. Broderick is a, is a voice in The Lion King and in this. Um, yeah, when I was younger, I had seen The Thief and the Cobbler um, 
but it was a completely different version than this. I do not remember oh, this version at all. This is the um, one I had seen, but I had forgotten some of the parts. Only some of the parts, like, really stuck out in my memory. Yeah, I, I don't remember the, uh, like, the John Winters or, or oh, whatever. Oh, so uh, funny. I do not remember that at all. Like, I was like, <laughs> and I'm watching it, and I'm like, what the fuck? It's because it's... Look, what he's doing, he's obviously just like riffing in the middle yeah. of a photo booth while they're watching the movie. And there's something about that that you're like, OK. But then you start being like, it's very obvious that they were just kind of like, well, it's not funny. So hire someone to just say inner monologue stuff and make it funny. Like, you don't need that. It's kind of like the Blade Runner thing with Harrison Ford doing the vo- like the the like Inter- the monologue, monologue the narration. <laughs> right. I don't know why they wanted me to go over there, but I did. It's like you don't need that to push the plot forward. Like I can see what they're doing. It's What's more happening? of a Buster. It's a Charlie Chaplin kid Buster Keaton style comedy, and they're just like, that's not what kids are into in the early '90s. We need to spice this up. You know who we should get? Aha. And it so. I, I saw a version of this where that was not happening. As far as my memory can, te- can, can like, remind me. I don't remember because some of this stuff was so weird. Because it's so obvious that it's just him being like, what's that? He's, oh, he's oh, doing oh, improv. It's cuckoo hilarious. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, what the hell? And uh, the characters look aggressively um, like... Should somebody be getting in trouble for this? Am I in trouble for watching this? It's just a very different movie in 2020 to watch, especially in connection with like how Aladdin had just come out and now how Disney is kind of under fire for some of the choices they've made in the past 30 years when it would come to depiction of other cultures in their kid-friendly animated movies. And like Aladdin and Disney... For, for the most part, they have a sheen to them that they're able to kind of maybe go by that a little bit. Or hide they're behind. Hide behind. Yeah, like they've yeah. got they've got like a, a level of craft and technicality that they can really just they can go. Yeah, but look at the finished product. Can't you see? Like, look how nice it is. And everyone loves this. Whereas Thief in the Cobbler looks like, you know, it could just be like a punk rock music video as well. It's really intense looking. It's and really avant garde, yeah. Yes, yeah, some animation. of the yes, and some of like the characterizations are a little like I don't, mm, I don't know if we're allowed to do this because you're like, where was this made? Who made this? And then you realize like, oh, it's Canadian, and it's like, oh, well, okay, that doesn't really answer any <laughs> of my questions, but all right. But it's at the end of the day, it's like if you looking at like when it was released in time. Um, the animation in it is insane. It's uh, for beautiful. some of the stuff that they're doing. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very cool. I do think that the Tony Collette character, the nurse, is probably the weirdest looking character because she has like, she looks like a normal human until you see her arms, and her yeah, arms got, like, are like purple and, yeah. <laughs> and huge. So that's like the one character we're just like, what's going on over here? But yeah, watching it again uh, was super enjoyable. I still am not really familiar with Jonathan Winter's work, but mm-hmm. the entire time of watching it, uh, Heath was like, is this Jeff Goldblum? This has to be Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I feel like Jeff Goldblum watched this movie and was like, never mind. I'm going to be that character for the rest of my yeah. life. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Yeah, yeah, so many awnings. 
Jones. It's so weird. It's such a weird, like you can, they don't even try to hide it. No, You're like, it's weird. this is a guy in a recording studio watching the movie and just in real time, just like zip, zap, zig, zig. All right. You want me to take that again? Let's keep going. Like that's all that's happening. And then they just, they just like click and drag the audio over to that. And they're like, okay, just play that over it. And uh, that's it. That's it. Yeah, actually, I was a little bummed out that Matthew Broderick is the voice of Tack, the cobbler, because he's like the only one that really takes me out of the movie, because he's not doing any voiceover work. He is just Matthew Broderick speaking as his character, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a little distracting, because Tony Collette, I was shocked to hear her as the nurse and the witch, and she was very cool. Like, those were two very distinct characters. You couldn't I, tell it was her. Yeah, I was you like, couldn't tell. That's- I was like, nurse, that's the nurse, right? That's who they're talking about? Is another nurse going to show up? Is that the nurse that they're talking about? And I was like, I guess that's Tony Collette. And if you really listen, you can kind of hear it. But like, I never would have been able to tell that that was her if I hadn't like read it on the IMDb. Right, right. Because I'm also familiar with Jennifer Beals. And it kind of sounds like Jennifer Beals, but she's putting a little bit of effort. But little Maddie B over there, Matthew Broderick, he's just like... I'm here to do work. I'm not going to do any real effort into making this a character. I am Tack. What's the tape? Let's roll the tape. I am Tack. I have become Tack. Yeah, I think that movie is uh, pretty great. I do agree with you. It is a little touch and go, but I feel like a lot of these movies we're going to talk about today are a little touch and go. There's a little bit of stuff there, you know. It's, uh, you know, it's more for me. Uh, and my security blanket than anything else just kind of I'm just going to mention like uh, not sure about it just going to say that right there I'm not going to fall hard on either line I don't think that's my conversation to have but it's like I will say uh, I watched it and my sensibilities were peaked I was hmm I don't know if this is completely okay but it's like it's like when you see a child shoplift at a store, you're kind of like, I don't think that's definitely not supposed to be happening, but I don't think it's my place to call anybody out on this. I think it could be harmless. I don't know. It's got nothing to do with me. So I'm, I'm just going to walk away. You <laughs> know? Let, it, let it be known. Let the record show yeah. that I said, I'm not sure. Like, like it's a, it's like a, like a six year old is like stealing, like, you know, a fishing knife, like a little pocket knife. You're like, mm. I don't know. I don't know about that. That could that this could end up badly, but it's none of my business. I'm not I'm not getting involved in this. Someone else <laughs> who's in charge of this situation can deal with this. Yeah. Can really lay out the law, but it's not going to be me. <laughs> no. Well, uh, um, would you like to yeah. maybe talk about the Paul Bearer next even though it's between Cozy and Lillian's story because I feel I'm like cool. there's a- I'm cool jumping around cuz I I got a I got a take on Paul Bearer. <laughs> yeah, I have got a I have got a take on Paul Bearer, and I think that Cozy and uh, Lillian's story are like the most like sister films in mm-hmm. um, this lineup. Because I will say, when I first started watching Cozy, for the listeners who aren't aware, uh, Cozy and Lillian's story both deal heavily with mental illness, and it seems like it. I thought maybe this is a hot take. I thought they both handled it really well. And I never felt like they were ultimately poking fun at these people. I think they genuinely care about these people. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's a take you're supposed to have, but I, I wasn't like overly offended. At first when I started watching Cozy, where they're putting on Cozy Van Tutti uh, in a mental institution and you have all of these characters, at first you're wondering like, where is this going to go? Am I going to feel bad after watching this? But I didn't. So I don't know. What was your take on watching Cozy? Oh, so Cozy first. Uh, Cozy. Yeah. Uh, Cozy, um, Cozy is the one that I probably like the least of all of these, but it's not the one that I think is bad. Okay. Uh, because I think The Paul Bear is a very bad movie, but I yes. fucking love it and I'm here oh, for it and gross. I'm clocked in and yes, yeah, no, you're not wrong. <laughs> I'm a bad, bad boy. Um, I don't know if you're but, a bad, bad boy, but... <laughs> but Cozy Cozy was one that, uh, and I agree, I, I double-featured, uh, uh, I DTF'd uh, Cozy and Lillian's story together. Oof. Very rough. Uh, yes. I had to stop uh, late last night, because I watched Cozy last night, started watching Lillian's story on Vimeo. <laughs> I didn't even this know you could rent things on Vimeo. Me neither. Because I, I, it was on Amazon until like a week ago, and then it got taken off. And I was like, what? how how now, Brown Cow, do I watch Lillian's story? Do you know what we're doing? <laughs> we're um, trying to watch all of these movies. And one of the best parts about in watching Lillian's story was Vimeo has a, has a like super HD version of the trailer. Uh, but, the, but the regular movie that you watch is the original, you know, 540... You know, you're, it's not it's not too crisp, but the trailer is so crisp that it ends up looking like a lifetime made for TV movie movie. And I was I like, mean, oh, no, it, it, that's what it is. But it kind of is. <laughs> it looked like it. it. The grain helps. The grain helps in this. Um, but yeah, I had to stop watching Lillian's story late last night because after watching Cozy and getting into Lillian's story, as Lillian's story begins to get extremely intense, I was like, listen, I need to go to bed. I can't deal with this shit at like 1.30 in the morning. So then I got up first thing in the morning, made myself a sandwich, and went downstairs and finished watching it. And um, we'll talk about it in a minute. Uh, but cozy, charming, fun. Uh, I agree with you that I think that the depictions of mental illness in Cozy and Lillian's story are kind of two different sides or two different extremes of the spectrum that the early 90s was kind of treating with mental illness where it would be something kind of like quirky and like, you know, slightly laughable, but like, you know, you still have to like, you know, your your one flew over the cuckoo nests, like side characters and stuff. Or then the other one would be, you know, you're sort of a beautiful minds yeah. or girl you're, interrupted you're, or you're very tragic, like extremely serious takes, which it is like mental illness is at, at once an extremely serious thing that also invites a couple goofball moments, even in real life. Like you don't, you don't know. And it, it leads to a uh, whoopsie Daisy. Um, Absolutely. But I and think I that think... these movies are both very, I agree with you that they, even though it's 30 years ago, I think the sensibilities to treat these illnesses with respect is up front, whether they're trying to be fun or lighthearted or very serious. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I do think that even in like the whoopsie Daisy moments, If anything, I think they're almost, like, showing us as viewers, like, it's okay to laugh at things. Like, you don't have to take life so seriously all the time. Sometimes laughing at a goof is what gets you through the day. Right. Like, instead of beating yourself up over said goof, just, like, embrace it. Like, people are inherently 
clumsy and ridiculous. And it's okay to let that guard down and be like, oh, yeah, uh, that was a ridiculous thing that just happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and Cozy, like, I guess, I guess, you know, with some of these movies, it's possible that, like, you know, Muriel's Wedding might be what's kind of pulling people in. Uh, But some of these other movies people might not have seen. Do you think we should, like, like, one sentence description, like, what this thing is about as we're talking about it? Or I don't think we have to go back and catch up, but maybe that's something, like, you'd be interested in doing. We're literally figuring out the uh, format of this show in real time. We started talking about it right before we started recording, and we're like, what? No, just go. Just jump into it. This is <laughs> this is what it. everybody's paying for. Like, they, they want to they wanna see how the cookies are made. Sure. But yeah, I think I, I already kind of said, like, Cozy is about this uh, yeah, mental yeah. institution or facility, I should say, where uh, a group of people have auditioned because the facility itself thinks doing theater would be good therapy for their patients. And so an outsider is brought in to direct this variety show, but one of the patients is obsessed with Cozy Von Tutti, and that's what he wants to put on. And so they start trying to make that work with this, like, small ensemble cast of, like, six or seven patients. Mm -hmm. And uh, each one of them is a character. Like, each one of them has very distinct personality. And it's about both the director and his struggle to make this production happen and the patients learning to grow and feeling appreciated and respected. And, yeah, like crazy weird actors in this uh again their start you have a little baby david wenham which was a treat to watch um you may know david wenham from faramir uh in lord of the rings and he was in the fated ill-fated uh van helsing but he plays one of the patients and he's delightful um what was uh he was in something recently where he played a cop Mm. Was it? Was he in Top of the Lake? No, I'm not sure. He was in like one of those like Top of the Lake uh, like crime procedural like miniseries, like British like things. And I saw him in that, and he was actually really really great in it. And I was I now I'm trying actor. to remember what. It, he's a very very good actor. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh, that that's that, that's a movie. Uh, ben Mendelsohn gets picked over another. A drama instructor, which leads to a very, very bad joke right up at the top of this movie. That kind of rubbed me the wrong way, but I'm also like, it's 1995, whatever, fine. Let's let's yeah. get past it. Uh, but I do like that, um, kind of like what you were saying about how Ben Mendelsohn's character, you know, how this movie kind of show, shows like, these things can be goofy. You don't have to take them so seriously, even though they are very serious situations that that's kind of his character in a nutshell where he's like i want to be the serious director and i'm going to come in and this this situation is very serious and i want to do this seriously and only through like kind of loosening up and goofing around does he like kind of create something that's like at least mildly entertaining and fun to do yeah and tony collette plays like the ali sheedy character she is ali sheedy in this movie yes Yes, that's what she is yeah she's just kind of like derp Hello. Hello. I'm not supposed to be here. Supposed to be in rehab for drugs. Yes. (laughs) Um, But really, uh, 
what I really enjoyed about Cozy was getting to see Rachel Griffiths again, which we'll get into Rachel Griffiths much more in Muriel's Wedding. Yep. But an actress that I had no awareness of prior to watching these films, and she Six is- Six Feet Under? Wonderful. I never watched Six <gasps> Feet Under. I know. Bernadette. Now I might need to. That's a great show. I've heard really good things about yeah, it. Yeah, that's a that's like a that's one of those shows that I put off forever because everyone always says it's great, and I'm like, yeah, sure, I bet. And then you watch it, and you just I actually watched it when I was like really sick uh, a few years ago, and I like crushed the whole thing in like two weeks because I was just like kind of going in and out of like having the flu or something. And it, it was insane. And I felt like I was dying and I was watching Six Feet Under, which is a show every episode is about dying. So Yikes. very good show. Can't can't recommend it enough. And yeah, her performance in it is fantastic. Everybody's great in that show. Uh, yeah, so that was in seeing her in Muriel's Wedding, I kind of knew I was like, oh, this is kind of like where she came from. Uh you know, Muriel's Wedding, when we get to it, like that, ha- it has so much like legendary status in it in Hollywood as far as like what it did. Like, not only did it launch the careers of a few people, but, you know, it also gave us people that would go on to make like My Best Friend's Wedding, which is like considered like the revival of like the modern 90s rom com after when Harry went- met Sally kind of cemented like the chemistry. Then it pushed that one forward. So it's it's a very odd movie that kind of fall right in the middle of these weirdo movies that we're watching that are dealing with uh, pretty intense things. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, before we get into like really intense with uh, Lillian's story, I, I would be remiss to not mention Colin Hay from Men at Work. He yeah. He's in Cozy and so funny to like watch the musician an actual musician be cast in this role and all he wants to do is play music and he's not allowed. Oh, so funny. You watched after the credits, right? Yes, I did. Yes, of course you did. Good. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was nice to, to see that at the end. Yeah. But yeah, cozy again, I'd recommend it. Listeners, if you are so interested. Yeah. That, one of the easier ones to find, it's just available to rent on Amazon. We didn't have to like, you know, go buy like a bootleg VHS. Send a carrier pigeon from Russia to Russia to get this one. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, Lillian. Yeah, I'm sorry. already. I'm already oh, looking at uh, the ones that are coming up, and I was already like, "Oh boy, here comes David Wenham again. Get ready." Yeah, I really haven't looked ahead all that much to look into what the movies that I haven't seen in the future, mm-hmm. like what they're even about. So yeah, I, I the only thing that is uh, yesterday. And in like, all right, I'm going to have to order some of this stuff and I want to make sure that it arrives in time so that we're not like pushing to be able to do that because I want to be able to lend it to you after I watch it and everything. So that was the only thing I was doing. I was like, all right, so I need to track this movie down. That's about this. And I was like, okay, that's going to be an interesting movie to watch in a couple weeks. Uh, yikes. <laughs> On glorious VHS. Um, but yeah, you, you wanted to you want to jump over to Lillian's story? Sure, sure. Yeah, I actually did some research because Lillian's story is supposedly based on a true story, but like only very loosely. Mm -hmm. Only in like some regards. I don't know how much research you did about the woman that Lillian's story is based off of. I did not. I I read like a very brief synopsis of like what it was about before I went in, which like stated that it was based on someone's real life, but I did not really look into... 
too much on uh, who that person, in fact, was and uh, how closely connected reality and this fiction might be. Gotcha. But yeah, would you like to give like a, a little synopsis on what Lillian's story is about? Sure. Uh, Lillian's story is about uh, a woman who is released from a, uh, to my understanding, psychiatric prison. Uh, it's, it's kind of like an asylum, but it, it seemed a little bit more intense. They refer to it as jail from time to time, but that might also just be those characters doing that thing. Uh, she's released, um, uh, and brought back into the care of her parents and her brother. And she starts having flashbacks as to, uh, her growing up, uh, with her parents, uh, having a very, very weird father and a very, very weird mother. Um, and a very, very weird brother. Just a weird family to be growing up in. And things slowly get more intense and darker as things are revealed. As we learn why she was uh, placed in a psychiatric environment to begin with. Um, while she reconnects with some old flames. Uh, some younger members of other generations. And ultimately uh, learns more about her family and herself. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's a very sad movie. Um, and honestly, I watch a lot of really twisted stuff from time to time. And this one was a little rough to watch at certain points, uh, which I think has to do mainly not only with Tony Collette's, uh, acting ability, but with just like how much I like Tony Collette. Um, and in seeing her in these earlier movies being younger is like, oh, Tony Collette. And so this movie presents uh, some more intense situations that I think is uh, some of uh, the best like acting that Tony Collette has done uh, up to this point that I've been watching in this series. Uh, and it was very intense and it was very hard to watch. Uh, and that's that. Uh, it's a it's a good movie. I thought it was going to be one that was going to be a little laughable. I thought it was going to be something that took itself too seriously and maybe didn't really, uh, just didn't really push the buttons for me. But um, it did. Uh, I think the movie is a little lightly made in certain areas from time to time. Uh, it's lit like dog shit, but <laughs> you know, it's uh, that is what it is, and that's not going to be something that I'm going to really comment on the overall quality. It's just a problem that runs throughout the whole movie. So at least the lighting issue is uh, consistent. So you can argue that it, it's a choice. Um, but yeah, that's Lillian's story was a big surprise for me. Uh, I, I liked it. Yeah, me too. I think it's uh, a great way to tell a story. I think it's very smart that you can kind of infer how terrible things had gotten at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. It's a cool thing where it's like they show you the edges of the puzzle and like you kind of understand what's on the interior of the puzzle, which makes learning more and more about the event that caused her to be institutionalized even harder to watch because you know it's coming, mm -hmm. especially leading up to that moment. You get like a pretty prolonged flashback of her being young and going through her mother's things and you already know she has an abusive father and so like you're starting to see like all of the pieces fall into place and it's like a horror film almost because it's like oh gosh you know what's gonna come mm -hmm. and there's really nothing to stop it because you've already seen the effect of what happens 
And yeah, it's and, very well I, done. And I, I think that that's one of the things that's most interesting about Tony Collette as a performer is that she very much is able to change that dial from zero to 11, um, not only quickly and convincingly, but she can play each of those decibels perfectly. It, whether you're like from complete joyful, innocent happiness all the way to pure, terrifying, evil, and all of the different things in between there. Um, she's fantastic. I mean, like you just look at a performance like hers in like Muriel's wedding compared to stuff that she's going to do later on in things like hereditary or even closer to this Lillian story, like Lillian's story technically I believe was probably made about the same year as Muriel's wedding. Um, and they are aggressively different performances um, which happens all the time with younger actors when they're trying to find their niche. They're trying to right. round out their genre work. Oh, I want to be in this movie. Show them this. Don't show them Muriel's Wedding or vice versa. Right. Um, but Toni Collette is very good. She's a very, very good actor. Um, oh, yeah. And I think that it, at least from my understanding and my experience in discussing her, um, doesn't really come up all that often. That, like, she's good. Yeah, it's... It's like just a given, like, oh, Tony Collette, yeah, she shows up to work. Don't worry about it. But it's like she actually is, even at a young age in these first couple films, extremely impressive. Oh, absolutely. I I started watching United States of Terra because I didn't want to be overwhelmed with having to crunch a television series once we get to that point. Mm-hmm. But now I'm going to be finished with it way before oh, yeah, we get sure. there because it's so good. And now, like, watching these previous films where she got her start it's like well of course she was cast in that role who has did like of course why wouldn't you cast her she's perfect for that um and it makes me wonder too because i haven't done any research like heavy research on tony collette but it seems like she's drawn to playing characters who have struggles and i wonder if she has a mental illness in her family Mm -hmm. or because she seems very drawn to that type of work but also she's very good and she understands the nuances, it seems. Yeah. For a very young actor, it's very impressive to see the subject matter that she's dealing with and handling mm-hmm. it very well and delicately. I agree. Yeah. yeah. And it, it goes from everything from, you know, her depressive nature in Muriel's wedding, which I can't wait to talk about, um, to, you know, just like, yeah, like the obvious, like, you know, quote unquote mental illness uh that she's portraying in cozy and Lillian's story uh and then just like just being a a real just kind of cutie patootie and like the efficiency <laughs> expert like i noticed in efficiency expert we kind of talked about the movie as a whole but we didn't really mention her part because she is very small in it which right. i think is kind of almost a good segue into paul bearer too where like her her performances in these two movies are extremely ancillary they are just kind of a supportive, um, I guess, an efficiency expert. It's it's sort of a romantic uh, interest, but you know, kind of like it's, a foil. It, it's treated as more than that. It's a fr- it's more the friendship. She becomes kind of representative of you know the main character's innocence as well. So it's not just like she's a trophy kind of thing for him to win because he became a better person. Uh, she's just extremely charming in that role, and same in Paul Bearer. She's just more of a uh, a foil to uh, the boys being the boys in the '90s. Fuck, I can't wait to talk about Paul Bearer. But anything else about Lillian's story? I don't want to. I don't want to pull the rug out from from that conversation. <laughs> well, I'll say really quickly. Uh, 
quick thing about Efficiency Expert, too, now that you brought it up, I think it's very cool that she both opens and closes that film. I think she's the yes. first to speak and the last to speak, which is yes. really, really cool for such like a bit role. So mm-hmm. she really kind of anchors the film. She's kind of like the moral compass. If Anthony Hopkins' character isn't the moral compass, she is, mm. which is really cool. But yeah, uh, Lillian's story, just to touch really quickly on the real woman that Lillian is based on, it was a woman named Beatrice Miles. And apparently she was a student. She was uh, learning to become a doctor because in the film you hear Tony Collette's young Lillian talking about wanting to become a doctor or a philosopher. But the real Beatrice Miles was in school. And then she suffered a bout of encephalitis. And it changed her personality, but not her intelligence. And then her father did have her institutionalized, but only for two years. And then um, when she got out, she really did live on the streets in Sydney. And she like had a huge rapport with like taxi men. So like the fact that she's in taxis all the time, I guess it's because that's how she would get around town. And her thing was she was like a vagabond on the street who could recite any line of Shakespeare that you wanted. And so all of that is wildly true. But yeah, she was just like a Sydney eccentric that I guess the woman who wrote Lillian's story kind of took that little nugget and then built the story about Lillian around it. So if they wouldn't have built out that character to have endured such trauma when she's younger, we wouldn't have gotten that Tony Collette role. So I, th- I found that a little interesting. No, it is. It, that's the word that's been on the tip of my tongue the whole time you've been saying this. Is like that's interesting. That that's also interesting. <laughs> oh, interesting that they did that. That that's overall a very interesting way to go about making a movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's strange. Uh, but Beatrice Miles herself seems like a very cool character who has since passed. But I do think the the actress who played the older Lillian was lights out in that role. And right. she's she's an actor of the stage, so mm-hmm. she's well known for her Shakespearean work. So how cool to like showcase both of those women in that movie. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. I just liked it. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it was. Uh, I uh, I really thought that that was going to be the one that I wasn't going to really dig. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, because one of these movies is trash, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, let's I get into it. it. I fucking love it. All right, so uh, what you want to tell you you want to tell our um, beloved listeners uh, what the fucking pallbearers about? Why don't you tell us what this movie's about? All right, so uh, listeners, the pallbearer, starring wildly famous a friends fr- friends fame David Schwimmer, mm-hmm. uh, gets a call from a grieving mother who says that her son Jesus. has. His son has passed, and she is requesting his presence at the funeral to be a pallbearer. Mm. Meanwhile, David Schwimmer, the character receiving said phone call, is Tom Thompson, and a man who does not remember this man who has passed away at all, and he agrees to be the pallbearer, he agrees to give the eulogy, and then he agrees to help the mother grieve. Mm. All knowing it's a lie, his friends all know it's a lie. And then this weird bit of information comes out at the end of the movie, and uh, we'll get to that. But, um, yeah, and it's about his, like, struggle. He he also wants to date uh, the other lead of the film, Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, who is another 
classmate of his from high school who he had crushed on and pined over for years. He's 25. So he's pined over her, you know, for probably like a decade. Um, Cool. And uh, the poster of this movie makes it look like a fun little weird rom-com, which it is not, dear listeners. (laughs) It is a weird movie with Barbara Hershey with blonde hair. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's the general plot without getting into even more how ridiculous this movie is. Yeah, the movie's dark and twisted. It's a twisted little fucking tale. Uh, (laughs) I love it. Um, it, uh, as I pointed out to you, uh, this movie was written and directed by Matt Reeves, uh, all the way back in 1996, uh, before Matt Reeves uh, would become a major writer for Felicity and the director of such great films as Cloverfield, War for the Planet of the Apes, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and the forthcoming COVID-19 spreader, The Batman. Um, (laughs) Matt Reeves is an amazing writer. He is an amazing director. You wouldn't this, know it. <laughs> this fucking movie exists. This is uh, the most 90s fucking thing I've ever seen. Uh, it's got Miramax all over it, complete with Gwyneth Paltrow just being shoved down the throats of Americans everywhere. Um, Gwyneth Paltrow is a weird person, right? She is... Started she's to show odd. that she is weird. The she's more she odd. does with like goop, I'm just like, oh, I wish you wouldn't have done goop because now I have to think that you're weird. <laughs> yeah. And it's unfortunate because, you know, like this, this movie is one of, 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 you know, hundreds of movies that uh, vary in level in, in leveling degrees of, um, oh, I remember that movie and I like it uh, that have uh, Harvey Weinstein's name at the front of it. Yeah, he's all over Tony Collette's like early trajectory. Miramax was a huge distributor of Australian indies and uh, stuff like that. So that's gonna that's probably gonna keep going for a little while, because uh, then also Miramax was just like that was the indie, that was the indie studio of the '90s, like, yeah. and that happened all the way through the early aughts until like they self imploded with Shakespeare in Love. Um, go figure. <laughs> uh, it's uh it's a little odd, you know, a Weinstein movie about, you know, that has someone like Gwyneth Paltrow in it who has kind of spoken very briefly about stuff like this, uh that had to do with uh the scandals and stuff and she plays a character that has the lines like, "Oh, maybe I did something wrong and I let him on." And you're just kind of like, "This movie's fucked up." I don't it's it's, it's a hard movie to really grab onto and just have fun with in the way that I think it wants you to, because it's, it's a dark comedy. Sure. A little bit of this is supposed to be heightened. Um, but the things that characters do in this movie are so bad, are so rotten and nasty and everybody like it, it's almost hard to kind of see which actions beget, which actions like, or who's involved in Michael Rappaport is in this movie. I mean, come on, what more do you need? Like, it's just the movie is a twisted nightmare of bad decisions and being treated like they're like, like things that are technically like I would consider to be crimes that you could go to jail for. And they're just like, Whoa, how's he going to get out of this one? And I'm like, (laughs) I I don't think he should. I think he should get arrested. But that was a, that was an interesting movie because I had never seen the pallbearer before. I assumed that it was just a romantic comedy, like a little HBO tee hee hee ha 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 
And it was not. It was uh, an extremely dark ripoff of The Graduate in some ways, but like without any of like the nuanced themes of The Graduate. Like this one's just like, oh, it's about growing up. So he has to fuck this guy's, this dead guy's mom. And you're like, that's not, that's not how themes work. That's not. And they're just like, it's okay. All the women will forgive him. Don't worry about it. You don't, you don't have to forgive him because all of the women will because we're going to make them. And it's like, okay. Okay. Yeah, there are a few moments in the film where I thought it was going to go a lot weirder and I was there for it. Um, there's a right. moment because the whole time he's saying, I don't remember Bill, the man who passed away. I don't remember him at all. I have such a good memory. I can't believe I can't remember this guy. What's wrong with me? And then he's looking in a yearbook, trying to, like, collect his thoughts, see who this person is before he has to go to his funeral and give him a eulogy. (laughs) And he's looking in the yearbook, and the picture for Bill isn't there. And I was like, oh, cool. Now this movie is going to be weird and take a turn. And I was into it. And then I'm like, oh, no, it's not weird. I don't know why they did that. That was a a strange choice. They don't really push it anywhere else. And I mean... I don't know if you clocked on beforehand. I don't think the movie really invites this amount of like deconstructive thought early on, but like the first interaction between Gwyneth Paltrow and him, like she thinks that he's another guy named Tom. So I'm like, Oh, that's what it is. They think that he's that Tom. And then it takes the rest of the movie for everybody else to figure that out, even though it keeps coming up. And I'm like, it's that they're like, it's a silly idea that, a man named Tom Thompson, Tom Thompson. Went, to hi- went to high school with another man named Tom Thompson. And he gets a call claiming that someone he went to high school with has died and he doesn't remember them. And that's not the very first thing that he goes, oh, you know, so <laughs> I understand. This happens uh, all the time. <laughs> this happens all the time. Tom Thompson was this guy. Uh, you can reach him over here. They treat it like it's this big epiphany when, like, it happens several times in the movie so that when it happens at the end, it can be explained. But it's just like, no, everyone should be getting there, but I guess that they're all fucking idiots. I don't know. And Um, see, I think my biggest qualm with that reveal of information at the end is because it's the Michael Vartan character, his buddy, who also went to school. He was like, oh, no, you're confusing yourself with the other Tom. And he was like, what do you mean the other Tom? And it's like the friend was in on the lie the entire time. And so to me, a quick fix would have been because he doesn't talk to his lovely mother, played by Carol Kane. That should have been the reveal that because he doesn't tell her her anything like, oh, I'm going to this funeral, blah, blah, blah. There's this huge mix up. But it'd be interesting if the mom would have overheard the two guys talking about it. And then she comes in and she was like, no, that was the other Tom. And then, yeah. you know, the David Schwimmer character is like, what do connect, you mean? Connect with your mother. Yeah. And then yeah. also have someone reveal the information who it makes sense to reveal the information. Mm-hmm. Not someone who also was in on it the whole time and is now like, I have the solution to this problem. It's like, why didn't you have the solution when it first happened? I will say the eulogy part is an extremely funny scene for me. <laughs> with all of them laughing but pretending to be crying. Because then it's also like he's so bad at it. Like, he doesn't do it in any possible way that anyone would be fooled by this, let alone the person's mother, so fooled, in fact, that everything else happens. I don't know, man. 
I don't know what the hell this movie thinks people are. I don't know what planet this movie takes place on, but it's not mine. It's not the one that I live in. People don't act like that. I don't know, man. Matt Reeves made this movie. What the hell's going on? I don't what? know. Because my what? like my main connection to like who was involved with the film was more Jason Cadims or Cadims. I don't know how you pronounce his last name. Because I watched Parenthood. Um, I've seen the entire television show and I've seen the film and Jason Cadims, Cadims, I don't mm-hmm. know, uh, was involved with those projects. And so I'm like, oh, this is like some smarmy like hokey trying to make you feel good type of stuff don't get me wrong parenthood the television show it was like my guilty pleasure of what i was watching at the time of course which has now been that slot has been filled by this is us i need one i need one ridiculous family drama and i thought that's what this was going to be but man whew. this had uh some moments i will say the ending when finally he reunites the tom thompson character with the mother and he does ask like the real tom uh like if he knew him well and he was like well i mean we knew of each other like oh yeah we were acquaintances he's like, he's like and did that you know felt, him well and he's like no not really and that like felt really like heavy to me and i was like man i wish i could appreciate this a little bit more <laughs> after watching right. this terrible movie <laughs> I mean, and it's got like, it's got like the classic, like first frame, last frame, great shit with like the first shot is the garage door opening up and revealing the mom and uh, with the dead son. And then the last shot is uh, David Schwimmer, noted American teen heartthrob, uh, pulling the the door down on the moving truck as he's moving. Like, yes, I understand the, the sandwich of the film here. There is some basic craft of uh, making a movie. Uh, but at the end of the day, human beings really just don't act like that. And um, you need to have it be just a little bit more heightened. Like, The Graduate is a heightened movie. There's stuff in The Graduate that does not actually happen in reality that is just, like, toyed around with darkly for comedic and theatrical effect. The Paul Bearer never really goes too weird or stays too serious to be in either camp. It just rides this tightrope of just, like, the fuck's going on here? Why... I can't tell how people are going to act at any given moment because I don't know how the rules work here. Someone call the cops. <laughs> like, it's call the cops on him. <laughs> I would call the cops on him. I don't know. Yeah, and then uh, Tony Collette plays Michael Varton's wife. And, and uh, Tony there Collette she is. is showing up to work. She's clocked in. She's doing the work. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems like she got a paycheck, which is great. And it seems like she was cast in this role. Because America was like, we're almost ready for you, Tony Collette. We're almost making space for you. But you're this Australian actress that we've snatched up and we're putting in this American film. Yeah. And uh, yeah, because they're like David Schwimmer, Gwyneth Paltrow. They're in this movie. They're going to be big pulls. We're getting the we're getting the future apes guy to direct it. Everybody knows about that. <laughs> and they're just like, all right, just like take Tony Collette and just pop her right there. Have her have a couple scenes with David Swimmer and Gwyneth Paltrow, and that'll be that. Um, she does great. Love her yeah. with her hair. Sh- love her with her hair short. Love her with her hair long. But uh, she looks great. Yeah. Um, is her hair red? Is it red? I, is her natural color red? I am uncertain. I do not know. I guess it doesn't matter. I'd assume maybe an auburn, but I'm not sure. An auburn, yes. 
Yes. Like a, like a reddish brown. Um. So yeah, <laughs> Paul Bear. Bear fucked up movie. Can't recommend it enough. It's fucking great. Um, I I won't recommend it, but listeners, you are welcome to do whatever you would like. Yeah, write write your <laughs> write your uh, local senators about it. Make sure everybody's aware that this thing is available. That children can any, any your child could just watch this at any moment. It's just available <laughs> there on HBO Max. Um, change the world one step at a time. Uh, let's talk about the main event. Yes, <laughs> let's get into it. Uh, Muriel's wedding. Mm-hmm. Uh, should I do this one? Um, sure. Muriel's you are the wedding host. is. You can introduce the main. Muriel's wedding is uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, even though I only saw it for the first time four or five days ago, I think this movie is fucking perfect. <laughs> Muriel's wedding is about a very lovely woman named Muriel, who um, has a bunch of really shitty friends. And a, a pretty shitty family, for the most part. Um, and all she wants to do, she, you know, she just wants to get married. She wants what what being married and having a wedding, what it represents, what she thinks it means. It's uh, a movie very much about uh, the idealized version that society just kind of presses upon you. Whether it be with uh, roles uh, in um, social status, gender, sexual orientation... Um, health, all this different stuff. Uh, and she she meets a friend uh, while she is out on a kind of revenge requ- uh, quest to ruin uh, a bachelorette party or a... Um, a, a honeymoon? More, more a of a honeymoon. honeymoon. Debauch- yeah, like to try and crash that. And she gets a friend and they end up uh, having a great connection and moving to Sydney together where she starts a new life as Mariel. Uh, and uh, gets gets married, but then sees that it's not all it's cracked up to be. If it isn't, in fact, all it's cracked up to be, and uh, yeah, the movie goes on from there and does a bunch of fun stuff, and it's fucking great. It had me laughing like crazy. It had me crying like crazy. Uh, this is just a. It was an absolute fucking dream of a movie to watch. I'd heard about it. I've heard that I'd probably like it. Finally sat down to watch it, and again, it's like. It's one of the best romantic comedies ever made. Uh, if you consider it a romantic comedy, I sure it's a romance it, between friends. It's a, exactly yeah. So it's kind of like it doesn't have the typical you know romantic comedy angle of just like the meat cute and all this stuff, but it's got the ver- variations of those that the movie reveals that it's much more interested with the relationship between these two friends than any relationship that they will be garnering on the side. Yeah. Uh, I watch a lot of uh, Trixie Mattel YouTube videos. Trixie Mattel is a drag queen. Mm-hmm. And uh, she did a makeup tutorial video with Iggy Azalea not too long ago, like within the past few weeks. And uh, Iggy Azalea is Australian. And uh, they were they were talking. And uh, <laughs> Trixie asked her, she was like, well, you've seen Muriel's wedding, right? And she was like, of course. And I was like, oh, that's really funny. And Trixie went on to say, like, oh, yeah, like, that's a test I do with Australians. Like, of course you've seen it, but, like, it makes me feel cool because I know that movie and you know Mm -hmm. that movie. Yeah. And I was like, oh, now I feel cool because I just watched that movie. (laughs) It's like a great cult classic that I don't think a lot of people talk about. No. Yeah. And it's something like uh, I have seen several movies and I can't quite place them. 
several movies that reference Muriel's wedding um, visually that I didn't okay. realize were were that I didn't realize we're referencing Muriel's wedding visually. Um, there's the whole scene at the end where like goodbye car, goodbye house, like that's referenced in a lot of other things, and I never knew that it was directly from Muriel's wedding. So when that starts happening, I'm like, oh, great, cool. <laughs> it's like if you've never seen Reservoir Dogs before, and you're just like, what is this whole thing with like black suits and skinny black ties and sunglasses that everybody keeps referencing in the late 90s? And then you see Reservoir Dogs, and you're like, oh, right, I see. Okay, took the country by storm, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, love Muriel's Wedding so much. I want it in 4K Steelbook. Um, it's fucking great. Yeah, it's a good movie. It was really it's fun to watch. Uh, I watched it upstairs in like our guest bedroom Ooh. while Heath was downstairs uh, doing like a Zoom magic thing with his <sighs> buddies on a Saturday night. How and he texted Heath? me. Oh, he's good. 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 <laughs> um, and he texted me. He was like, What's up with Dancing Queen? I've heard it like four times. What are you watching? <laughs> I mean, there's that too, where you're just like, I'm a big Mamma Mia fan. This is known on the on the cast. And yeah. uh, I did not know that like uh, Diana watched it with me, the lovely Diana DeMiro. And she was like, oh, my mom loves this movie. And you're going to find out why real quick. <laughs> and I was just like watching it. And then all of a sudden she walks into a room and there's just loads of ABBA posters and you hear like ABBA music slowly start to fade in. Like it's fucking Michael Myers in the first Halloween movie. And you're like, Oh, here we go. And it's fucking great. I'm here for every single choice that this movie makes. I love ABBA. I love Tony. Yeah. I love God how this movie it. starts out and you're kind of like, I don't know where this is going to take me. Exactly. It's, it's pretty cool. And then she gets to the island where she's doing this revenge, going to crash this honeymoon thing with all of her ex-friends who just dumped mm-hmm. her and ends up finding Rachel Griffith's character instead. And then they do that like ABBA performance at the Which talent show. Which is a fucking, it made me cry. Very I was like, cool. this is beautiful. This is fucking great. While everyone else, like they turned, they've turned them on each other. And now they're just like ripping each other's hairs out. And all the, 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 the popular girls from high school, their lives are just destroyed through like their own doing maliciousness and stuff. <laughs> and they're just fucking singing Ava and having a great time. And it's fucking great. And Tony Collette is an icon. It's great. I yeah, because that's the first moment where you get to see Muriel like actually light up and like emerge from yeah. the depressive state that she's in. And you're like, oh, there she is. There's Tony Collette. Yeah. I see her. And it's like you forget that Tony Collette, or rather at least I do, like I forget that Tony Collette has the ability to go that far into happiness and joy. Because you're so used to her acting abilities being just so much sinister. You know, like I, I'm mm-hmm. thinking like recent stuff like Knives Out or even something like Sixth Sense, which when we get to that, I ha- like that's that is like one of the best performances anyone has ever fucking given with like the amount, the very like the, the small amount that she is given to work with and what she does. It's fucking crazy. The fact that she was only like 25 or whatever when she did that is nuts. It's crazy. She, she's an amazingly talented actor. And it's it's in those moments of joy that Muriel plays that really reminds me of that. Like when she, when she clicks over to like, you know, sad and she's crying in the corner of that wedding shop, you know, you're just like, yes, this is, this is a level that Tony Collette can go to on a dime and she can do it convincingly 
and great, but it's the joyful stuff that you're just like, God, she's able to do that too. It's, it's crazy. What a fine choice we made. What a fine yeah. choice Robbie made. Yes, Robbie thank made you, a Robbie. fine choice. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, that movie was a treat. And uh, to hear the line, you're terrible, Muriel. It's great. It's so funny. Every single time. And then I've like heard that, that before. And, man, and the, the stuff know. with the mom is just the the saddest, like greatest shit. Like that is just that's that's movie magic shit right there. Like that's I don't I don't care if you know Muriel's wedding really isn't your art house cup of tea when it comes to cinematic happenings, but like the 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 craft of handling the mother's B story from beginning to end. And having it stand for what it stands for and go to the points that it goes to and have the effects that it has are fucking outstanding. It's crazy. When she's standing at the back of the wedding and Muriel doesn't see her and she starts to cry and then Muriel discovers later at her funeral where her funeral is being used as like an excuse to get her dickhead husband out of a bunch of trouble, it's revealed to Muriel that she was there and that she doesn't feel bad that Muriel didn't see her, that she can still considers it one of the happiest moments of her life. It's just insane. It's there's you and you can break down almost every specific moment in a movie like Muriel's wedding. And each specific moment and minute has like the same kind of emotional impact as something like that does. And it's, that's, that's how you make a great movie. That's how, that's how something can like, can just like overcome the niches of its silly genre and like a romantic comedy can become something that like changes people's outlooks on an entire group of people or an entire situation. It's fucking crazy. It's uh, an insanely impressive movie. Yeah. Very, very ballsy to have a film have those scenes of which you were just speaking and then also have a ridiculous scene where a threesome is happening and Muriel can't get her shit together because she's about to have a sexual encounter. Yes. But she's just like losing her and mind. And she's losing her mind, yeah. <laughs> and then like the, the beans come out and then and like then the, the two sailors are like right, trashed. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, very, very well done. And Rachel Griffiths, man, again, saying before, like that character in that film is lights out. The acting that that actress is doing is phenomenal yeah and she's playing like different you know there's like peaks and valleys of like different things that she's doing like she shows up and she's you know she's the judd nelson she's kicking ass she's taking names and then all of a sudden you know she gets a little bit more realistic you know she's the molly ringwald uh and then you know then she goes up to the alley sheedy you know and she's got a little bit of Emilio in there and uh you know by the end we're all just a bunch of anthony michael halls you know what i mean how perfect you know what i mean what a nice assessment. That's it. I should watch The Breakfast Club. It's been on my brain for a while. Apparently. It really was watching Cozy last night, and I was just like, Ali Sheedy should get some kind of credit for what's going on here. I think that, I think Tony owes Ali a, a phone call. Possibly so, yeah. <laughs> Definitely, like, Cozy, as I said before, really enjoyed that movie, but yeah, not really a lot of Tony going on in that movie. No. Yeah, and that's the fun part, too, I think, about these earlier ones is that, you know, in a lot of these movies, although, like, you know, she is, like, the main character in, I'd say, what, like, three or four out of these? Like, she's the main character in Muriel and Lillian. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And what were the other ones that we fucking did? <laughs> I would say Thief and the Cobbler doesn't have really enough Yeah, no, you're right. That's on. the one I was thinking about. So yeah, like two of them, like, you know, she's like the lead. And as we get deeper into her career and she becomes more of like a hard B list actor, like she's going to she'll she's going to be in some more prominent roles. Mm-hmm. I am pretty excited though. This was kind of a good way to kind of lean into it with six movies and this kind of works out. I I think this is a fun show to listen to. What yeah. do you think? Yeah, I think it's daunting at first when we were looking at spacing these out, mm. but I think it fell together pretty pretty nicely. Yeah. And again, I feel like there are probably a number of these films where we're the odd men out where it's like, oh, no, we haven't seen really any of these. But yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people who do tune into this probably are maybe a little bit more familiar with some of these works because it's not like these movies exist in a vacuum. They've been out there. People have seen them. Right. And so. that's kind of the fun thing is like now you have like efficiency expert. I'm like, yo, you know, that's kind of like a good way to spend an hour and a half if you're looking for some really weird early 90s Australian independent comedy. There yeah, and that one's definitely like a feel-good movie. So if you want a feel-good yeah. movie... And it's got Anthony Hopkins and Russell Crowe in it. Hey, they're in that movie. Yeah, that's true. <sighs> Russell Crowe in that movie, man. We didn't really talk about it too much, but boy, no. oh boy. He's uh, he's something special with those sideburns of his, and he's always chewing gum. Yeah, that is a weird character he, like, thing. When he like grabs Ben Mendelsohn, he's going to beat the shit out of him. It's like really scary, because you're like, Russell Crowe is like a mean guy. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. wish there was a dipshit Russell Crowe character in every Tony Collette movie. Oh, no, you don't. I mean, it'd be nice. I <laughs> Honestly, I wish there was a dipshit Russell Crowe character in every movie. Interesting. But it's a 24-year-old Russell Crowe with those sideburns, and he's just in... In some movies, he's the guy giving the ice cream. He's like, here's your fucking ice cream. And In some <laughs> movies, he's like, you know, the plumber. And he's just like, I'm here to fix the fucking toilet, you know? Like, he's always chewing gum. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're, <laughs> you are an editor. You can make that happen. I can. Once you, know, you learn more the, about deep fakes, <laughs> yeah. go for I'm it. I'm actually working on something right now where I'm, I shouldn't be saying this, but I'm I'm taking the uh, original John Wick trailer and re-editing it using footage from Mank and okay. making John Mank. Oh, I see. I see. So hopefully by the time this episode's out, uh, that video has dropped and I've become a, a, a multimillionaire. Um, <laughs> they've made me president of the United States. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll see where we go from there. Well, it's Christmas. It's Christmas time. You're treating <laughs> it yourself. Almost, it is almost Christmas. That is a uh, gift to yourself. So what are we? So uh, so on the next Colette stuff. <laughs> Did you have anything else you wanted to say about any of these guys before we kind of pick apart what we're going to be covering on the next one so everybody has a a month to kind of watch along with us if they want to? Figure it out. Um, Yeah, as long as you're cool to move on from Muriel's wedding, we didn't really talk about it all that long. But I I mean, I feel like I I said what I needed to say. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a really solid movie. I think it's it's just like really kind of just presents the version of a high-end romantic comedy and what you can do with it and why those that that specific genre seems to pop out so much and have these kind of runaway movie star careers out of them. You know, like it really does come down to Muriel's wedding as being the thing that kind of launches Tony Collette. And over the next 10 years, she's going to have a bunch of different big, bigger roles that are going to keep her in the public consciousness 
And then she's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger until she is the superstar that we know of the past decade. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think, sadly, I don't hear a lot of people talk about Tony Collette. So I hope no. we're doing the good work <laughs> changing that. Because, yeah, it's crazy to me that an actress who people are like, oh, yeah, she's just like been around like the past few years. It's like, oh, no, no, no. Especially like next episode where we start talking about Velvet Goldmine. It's just like, don't you remember these things? Like she's been around for a long time. Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of the fun thing about like the earlier ones back here. There's a lot of weird ones. And then as we get into the middle, we're like, oh, yeah, she was in Shaft. Cool. We get to watch (laughs) Shaft. And then as you get deeper into like, you know, your Little Miss Sunshines and all that stuff, you're like. These are like the classic movies that I'm really excited to revisit and discuss, but I'm also really interested. Like, I want to hear what you have to say about Changing Lanes. I used to Nothing. watch Changing Lanes all Nothing the time. Nothing right now. Yeah, because fucking, I've, I haven't seen it. It's a fucking weird movie. But then like, you know, so we get to like talk about about a boy. You know, I'm just kind of like, I'm excited to watch United States of Terror 2 to like get some of that in. There's going to be some weird TV episodes in there where I'm going to watch one episode of Rake uh, and kind of piece together what I think this show is. It's going to be fun. Yeah. It's going to be fun. So Triple yeah, why X don't Return of Xander Cage is there. This is going to be great. Yeah, that's going to be the only film from that series I'll probably ever watch. Hey, and it can be. Yeah. But yeah, why don't you go ahead and give like a little rundown of the next episode? Sure. I even found where a lot of these things are available too. So maybe that'll help people out. Of course, these things are, they do tend to change. So if you're listening to this in the distant future, might not be there anymore. But um, so next up, we're going to be doing Emma, which is currently on HBO. Uh, We're going to be doing Clock Watchers, which I had to get from the library because I can't find that anywhere. Uh, I love libraries. Yeah, we're going to do The James Gang, which is the weird one that I had to rent that I had to buy a VHS from Russia for. Um, then we have Diana and me uh, and the boys. Um, both are also very hard to find and track down. I found a copy. Uh, good luck if you want to try and find those ones. Uh, then the main one is going to be Velvet Goldmine, which is currently on Vudu, And uh, Eight and a Half Women, which is currently on Amazon. So those are going to be... That's uh, what, seven, seven movies that we're going to be doing. Yep. And yeah, I've only seen Velvet Goldmine, and I believe I've seen Emma, but it's been a long, long time. And the rest of them, I have no idea what they're even about. I think that's the same. Uh, I've seen Velvet Goldmine and Emma, uh, but I don't remember Emma all that well. And Velvet Goldmine, I watched when I was older, but I still haven't seen it for like 10, 15 years, so... Interesting. Yeah. In the past year, one night I was like channel surfing just before going to bed and it was on and I was like, sure, I'll watch a little bit of this. I love this movie. And then I watched the whole movie, which tends to happen. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm excited to uh, venture out on this uh, Colette crusade, as they call it. Yes. uh, You need to save some of these. Yes. Oh, no. I'll just keep I can keep coming up with them. You know, it's uh, there's never too much Tony. Yeah, I just uh, don't understand why she isn't a bigger star than what she is. And 
we'll we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I'm excited. Maybe, may, maybe we'll find out. Maybe she gets bad. <laughs> I doubt. I it. I don't think she does. I I've seen her. It. I've seen her being good in things recently. So let's uh, we'll find out. But yeah. uh, until then, uh, Burn, thank you so much for hanging out with me and talking about Miss Miss Colette. Uh, You're welcome. Happy to do it. And listeners, uh, thank you so much for subscribing to our exclusive content feed. If you are listening to this right when it first comes out, you're an exclusive member and we really appreciate it. It helps us kind of keep the lights on over here with uh, being able to expand out and do some more cool, fun stuff and be able to do fun stuff like uh, the Colette stuff. Uh, and really appreciate that. Uh, visit StoryScreenBeacon.com for some more fun stuff. We're not going to pitch you on anything because you guys are already really cool. And if you're listening to this in the distant future when we've made it available to the public so that you know what these shows are like and what you're missing out on, go sign up. StoryScreenBeacon.com. Five bucks a month. You're going to love it. It's going to yeah, be great. Yeah, there's some good stuff there. There's some great stuff there already. We've got the Edgar Wright stuff, Stock and Carpenter. Uh, Colette stuff's going on. Movie Daddy. Uh, me and Robbie are talking about what our next series is going to be as well because we only got two months left of Stock and Carpenter. I think we're going to be doing some fun video game nerd shit. You know. Very cool. Nerd shit. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, you can either spend that $5 on a footlong from Subway or you could listen to these podcasts and read these articles. And uh, I think this is the better deal. I think it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.